This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks, and the Bundesliga is back. And welcome to BR Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I am joined by the one and only Sam Ty. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Thank you. You describe me as the one and only. I'm pretty sure there's at least one more of me if you Google me because I've tried to find them in the past. Facebook is a treasure trove for that. It's a rare name, but there are some of us. But thank you for the, the venerable introduction. I'm actually one of many, many, many Jack Collinses. Imagine that. And it's a, it's a shame, really. But I think I might be the only Jack J. Collins. So we're, we're, we'll take that at the moment. Okay. This is what I'm running with. What I'm running with. How are you? Did you enjoy the football at the weekend? I did, mate. Yes, I did. Uh, another weekend of Bundesliga action. It goes down pretty smooth at the moment, doesn't it? Um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, obviously, this was, never, this was never planned, but... The two weekends of fixtures that we've had so far since the return have been pretty special. Uh, there have been a lot of goals. Yeah. Uh, the the best teams in the league have played very, very well. The behind-closed-doors element has ended up really benefiting them, I think, and the quality is shining through. And once everybody gets past the sort of weird atmosphere, it, it's actually been pretty enthralling. And um, when you see Bayern and Dortmund and Leipzig and Leverkusen racking up goals, racking up scorelines and performing to the best of their abilities, more or less, immediately... That really helps you kind of latch onto it and, and, and continue to enjoy it. Yeah, we, we saw a couple of slow starts the first weekend. Leipzig maybe a little bit unlucky in some ways, but they really turned it on this weekend, didn't they? Oh, they did. Yeah, I mean, even even the famous Dean Jones, you know, still in paternity leave, was texting us on on the weekend, going, "Oh my God, look at look at Leipzig!" Of course, they they beat Mainz five nil away from home. Um, away from home doesn't really matter anymore to be fair but they beat them 8-0 at home in the first match week and so that's a that's a nice 13-0 aggregate score for Leipzig over Mainz this season Mainz probably very 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 happy they don't have to play Timo Werner again another hat trick so that takes into six goals and three assists against Mainz this season it's absolutely ludicrous yeah. isn't it it's it's kind of hilarious uh but it's 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 ridiculous I enjoyed Mainz's tweet Klopp can you just come and get him now is that we're fed off of having to play him but we commentated on the game this weekend sam and uh with a with aside from a little bit of technical difficulties we had a lot of fun yeah yeah we did we had we had we had good fun i think it was tough wasn't it oh i get new fans uh new fan respect for some commentators now particularly in england we're getting we're getting a commentator called paul dempsey a lot at the moment because the the rights holders bt sport are just um they're just going through their the guys that they have already, I think, because they've been out of work for two months, it's totally fair enough. But Paul Dempsey is is commentating, you know, twice a day, back to back, sometimes on his own with no co-com. And after Jack and I's experience at the weekend in Leverkusen versus Gladbach, which loads happened, there was loads to talk about. But wow, I've got a newfound respect for someone who can go on that solo. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks to everybody who who joined in and listened to us and. We're going to give it another go. A lot of people asked us to do Dortmund versus Bayern, which would have already happened by the time you listen to this podcast. We wanted to sort of sit back and enjoy that one uh, and continue to find our feet with slightly less important fixtures. So we're going to go for Paderborn Dortmund on Sunday at 5pm UK time. So that's going to be midday, 12 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, 9am 9, 9 West Coast for those of you joining us from that side. If, if, if you fancy an early start on Sunday you know where to find us. But yeah, it was it was fun and hopefully will be something we do more and more of. We're on the Hot Mic app, so you basically download it, you log in, uh, and then you sync it up to your TV and it, it basically matches the game to the commentary that we're doing. So it's 
lot of fun. Uh, and we got some lovely messages from people and some lovely comments. So thank you, everybody who joined in. But we should move on to the main thrust of this podcast, which is going to be ranking every Champions League final in this century. There are 20 from 2000 to 2019. And given that this week was supposed to be the 2020 Champions League final, it felt like a good time to look back and see how we put these all in order, Sam. So I gave you a mammoth task of ranking these ones. Yeah, this wasn't easy at all. And there are there are, there are clusters of sort of three fixtures here where you just look at them all and you compare them side by side and you're like, well, I don't really, I don't know how to split these. So I've done my best uh, ranking 20 finals you know, over the last 20 years is quite difficult. Uh, bear in mind that the first one on the first one in, in, in the list, basically not 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 20th, but as in in 2000, uh, I was 10. So I spent Monday brushing up on a few games and, and plugging a few holes. I spent quite a lot of my time on UEFA's YouTube channel, just watching back all of their material, watching, you know, 20, 30 minute extended cuts of these older games are the ones that I can't quite remember. So I did my due diligence as best I could. And I'm not going to complain, am I? I spent my Monday at work watching <laughs> watching YouTube videos of Champions League finals. But here's where we are. I've got my list. I'm going to breeze through the first six really quickly with barely any comment because I basically don't think any of them were that good. All right, ready? Go for it. Okay, so last place in 20th is Juventus nil, Milan nil, which Milan won on penalties in 2003. We don't need to say too much about that. It's the only goalless draw on this list. Uh, 19th is Porto 3, Monaco nil in 2004. I think you would probably have this higher up. But what is it? Eight? It's 19th. It's not very good, mate. I watched it back. The astonishing lack of quality on show. It appalled me, genuinely. The most amount of offsides I think I've ever seen in a highlights cut is a joke. Anyway, on to 18. Liverpool 2, Tottenham nil from last year. This was just not good. And it was because Tottenham conceded a penalty in the first minute. Salah put it away. And literally from that point, you're like, well, this game's over, isn't it? Tottenham aren't going to make aren't, aren't going to make their way back into this game. Liverpool had this sheen of invincibility about them. And once they're 1-0 up in that tie, you know it's over. So the next 88 minutes just aren't that fun, are they? They're just not that good. Um, 17th, Real Madrid 3, Valencia 0. A bit one-sided. And when that happens in, a, in an all-domestic tie, two Spanish sides, it just doesn't really capture the imagination as well as it probably should. In 16th is Milan 2, Liverpool 1 from 2007. It was obviously Milan's revenge game. And boy, did they grind that one out. It was an ageing Milan side. I think a lot of that group probably knew it was their last chance and they weren't going to, to win the Champions League final as, as a collective. And they weren't going to pass this up. And they sort of killed that tie, I think. It never really got going. And then last of this little cluster is, is 15th is Bayern 1, Valencia 1 from 2001, which Bayern won on penalties. It at least had a very good shootout. Oliver Kahn was magnificent in that. So there are my first six all six that I don't think I would ever watch again for any entertainment purposes. Uh, some of them were quite poor. Towards 16th and 15th was okay, but these are all very much bottom of the barrel for me. I do have one thing to add. I also, for what it's worth, had Juve Milan nil-nil as, as the 20th point on my list. But it is really interesting, the story from that game about how when there was the Juventus team were going up to take penalties... There's a, there's a story about how people were like, no, I don't want to take one because Dida's reputation as a shot stopper from the spot was so good that people were actually scared of taking penalties against him, which I always find like a, a really intriguing story. It is quite cool. Another thing that I unearthed for the Milan 2 Liverpool one uh, in 2007 was basically just watching that UEFA stuff on, on YouTube. It was Filippo Inzaghi had missed, had missed the final two years before. And yeah. uh, 
he was fit for the 2007 version and they had an interview with him and he was basically sat there going like i think it you know god gave us a replay um I wasn't fit for the first one. I was fit for the second one. This to me was a sign. I was going to be the star of the game. <laughs> he was speaking, speaking in such terms. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong because he got two goals. But like, just for anyone to come up with that sort of stuff, like if it was Kaka, fine. If it was if it was Dida, fine. Inzaghi was like, I know he was obviously very good, but he was also just a bit crap, wasn't he? In in a general sense, like everybody said this about I him, he, it, but... he could barely he could barely control the football. But my God, his movement was and his finishing was very very good. Just for him to be talking about himself in such in such a way when you wouldn't even catch Messi saying the, saying that sort of thing, it really tickled me. It did, and to be fair, it made the difference. So fair, fair play to him. Interesting point here, Sam. How many of those bottom six were all one country affairs? Uh, Juventus and Milan, Liverpool and Tottenham, Real Madrid and Valencia. So three out of the six. Because I started to think when I was doing my own ranking that this had become a theme, that when teams play from the same country, there are exceptions to this rule. But on the whole, no, tend to be less exciting Champions League finals, I think because the two teams know each other so well. Yeah, it can go one of two ways. I think it just goes one way more than the other. It either just explodes um and there's 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 something there's something in it isn't there there's like a like an innate kind of not not hatred but just that familiarity breeds real contempt um and it can make a game explode and there's a couple of examples of that later on in the ranking but very often it, it can mean the other thing it becomes a little bit more sterile the joy of the champions league is watching europe's best clash from across the shores that's the more exciting bit it's it's, it's measuring up teams that don't usually play against each other and you get to measure the leagues as a result of that. So when you get a final like Liverpool Tottenham, it is just a bit like, uh, you know, I've seen this on on Sunday. Uh, you know, I've seen it on a Saturday. I've seen it on a, a Monday night football. Like it's just not a special, right? And maybe that weighs in. But I am absolutely certain that the three I've got in my bottom six that are all domestic ties there were not very good. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Let's keep rolling because there's quite a lot to get through here. Uh, oh, there is. Just, there just is. Point to the rest. Okay, so this is where it gets a little bit more difficult because there's a middle pack, and I'm open to uh, I'm open to suggestions here. But how I've got it is, in 14th, I've got Real Madrid won Atletico won in 2016, which Real Madrid won on penalties. Um, yep. There's a succession of games actually where they're sort of replays, and uh, it's really weird to speak about one without speaking to the other, speaking about the other first. But obviously, because they're higher ranked, you can't. But Atletico basically tried to grind through this one in a very similar way to the one they did in 2014. But that sheen had kind of faded. They weren't quite as good at absorbing that pressure and they weren't as punchy on the counter-attack. And I don't think this was a particularly absorbing game. Uh, so I've got it a little bit lower. And I'll just rattle through the next three or four as well. 13th is Chelsea 1, Bayern 1, which Chelsea won on penalties. Um, there was a, there was some stuff to like in this game. And when Muller scored... Quite a lot of drama. Yeah, no, I, no, I, don't, I don't think it... I don't think it was that thrilling, right? That's no. that's that's the that's the bottom line in it. It wasn't that thrilling. When Muller scored the header in the 83rd minute, I remember watching this game and going, finally, like they battered them all game. Bayern had absolutely battered them. You know, Chelsea played two left backs to deal with Robin. It was that kind of game. It was very much attack versus defense for a lot of it. And then Drogba scores that iconic goal. Then you get you know, Robin missing the penalty in extra time against his former club, and then you get Chelsea's shootout win. So and I'm not saying it was devoid of anything. But in comparison to some of these quite magnificent games that we've been treated to, it actually just falls just a little bit short. Um, yeah, that's and one final one here just before we take a little break is uh, 
it's Real Madrid 4, Juventus 1 in 2017. This was a good game, um, but I just feel like this game was always out of reach for Juventus. And I know that Mandzukic scored one of the great Champions League final goals and he managed to get them back into it at 1-1. But Casemiro scored that deflected effort. And from that point on, it just kind of felt like Real Madrid were going to win that game. This was part of their inevitability. This was part of their dominance. And they had such a strong bench to go with their 11. They had the big game players. They had Ronaldo. They were wearing that purple kit. And I just never really felt like Juve were, were actually in that game. And the same with Real Madrid-Valencia down in 17th. It was a 3-0. It was pretty one-sided. Uh, one-sided games can be fine in special circumstances, but here it didn't feel like a contest. Do you think? See, I completely disagree with you here. And I haven't really so far, aside from the Monaco game, which I had much higher up because I think I enjoyed the kind of novelty of seeing two teams who don't get to Champions League finals in Champions League finals. Um, but I had this Juve-Real Madrid game really high. Really? Because I, I thought it was a really, really like in engaging game of football. And yes, I agree with you in that there was that kind of sheen of invincibility at that point but also bear in mind that this is the first time it was ever retained in the modern era it was one of those games where you're like you're almost excited to see how that plays out and by the end yes okay it was a it was a formality by the last 10-15 minutes but you know when when Juventus got back into this and there was the whole drama about no one's ever retained it since it changed its name and all of these things I was like oh okay maybe there could be something here and I, I remember being really really engaged in that game I had it third Wow. Okay. Now I'd forgotten that it was the first time it had been retained in the modern format, which yeah, yeah I'm not sure if I'm still not sure if I care about that that much to be fair. Look, just looking, but looking back on it in retrospect, maybe the fact that they then went and just won it again, just kind of knocked that out yeah, of the park a little bit for down, me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't capture me in the way that a lot of these games did. I genuinely thought that it was a bit too, just a bit, a bit too inevitable. Like I knew, I just knew Real Madrid were going to win. And that purple kit was so nice. It was, yeah. And I remember like a, a sense stepping off the bench pretty late and Ronaldo scoring late and there were a lot of good moments and I think the point the point to be made is like from 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 number 13 Chelsea Bayern onwards these are all good games but yeah this one's this this one doesn't doesn't tug at my memory quite as strongly as others okay all right let's keep rolling then yeah into 11th which is Inter Milan 2 Bayern nil in 2010 I, when I first started constructing this list, having not just checked back on the game, I think I would have had this bit lower. And I went back and, and looked through it and refreshed myself. It's actually better than I remember. Um, I think into a good value for that win, but Bayern caused like quite a lot of problems. Muller had a really good chance. But Diego Milito just basically proved like way too good for that defensive line. And the two goals that he scored were just absolute class. And Diego Milito is never a player that you speak about in the pantheon of great strikers. And I understand why. But that year that he had at Inter Milan was just incredible. And I think he was about age 30 at the time, a real late bloomer. Um, the two goals that he scored were just brilliant. The one where he held off held off a couple of defenders, faked to shoot, to sit the keeper down and, and then lift the it keeper. over him was amazing. Yeah. And then the second one where he just like destroyed Daniel Van Bouten, just turned him inside out and fired home was also brilliant. And I, I feel like I have a slightly special place for that Inter Milan team in my heart as well, which may, may just be influencing the rankings a little bit. But it's my ranking. It's just it's my my impression of it. So I think that's probably okay. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to be said about Diego Melito. One of the things I learned recently is that he scored all of the goals that sealed all of the titles that year, which I think is an incredible statistic. He scored the two goals to win the Champions League final. He scored the goal that won Serie A for them. And he scored the winner in the Coppa Italia final, which is that's awesome. You know, well, it's just one of those sort of random stats that you find out and you're like, ah. That's cool. But he was such a he was such a key player for that for that, for that side. And 
you know, to get the best out of him at that age as well. He was a classy operator, wasn't he, Diego Melito? And he's never, like you say, spoken about in in the kind of series of greats, but he was such a joy to watch in that season. He was, yeah. He's just like, he is the Mourinho number nine. Like, mark my words, for the rest of the man's career and, you know, leading up to that point as well, Mourinho was always looking for his Diego Milito. And Harry Kane isn't actually that dissimilar in quite a lot of ways. So he's he's sort of lucked out a little bit there. But in, in previous clubs, when he was manager of Porto, he had he had his reference point strikers that looked just like it. He's always hung his hat on a forward just like that. And it has pretty much always worked for him. And Milito, I think more than anyone, really stands out as the Mourinho number nine. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep rolling. Okay. Actually, that what I just said may not be true because Dropper was pretty damn good at that as well. Um, anyway, uh, into number 10 then. This is the top 10. Uh, Leverkusen 1, Real Madrid 2 from 2002. It is a game that is largely remembered for one strike of the ball. Uh, that, yeah. that being Zinedine Zidane's left-footed volley from about 17 yards into the top corner. And you have to go back and really kind of remind yourself of what happened there to remember literally anything else that happened in that game because it is such a vivid memory, that goal. And it has really just stolen all of the talk it's stolen all of the conversation around the game so you go back and you watch it this really this so your your point about how like a theme emerges of, of domestic games is 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 good what you also recognize when you go back to this sort of 2000 era is the goalkeepers right when just not very good and the really good ones stick out like like very clearly because most of them, I just don't think the goalkeeping level was really there in the 2000s. And this is something that I thought when I went back first week of quarantine a while ago now, and we I watched the official World Cup films on Amazon. The, like outside of like Buffon, Casillas, Khan, um, everyone was rubbish. <laughs> like the goalkeeping standards were just awful. And you saw this in 2002 when basically Real Madrid just took a throw in down the left-hand side. Raul stole in, hit it early. I think it was hands your butt, just stood in goal, just watched it go in. You think you didn't even move, man. Like, what's going on? There's no anticipation at all. A League Two goalkeeper yeah. would be embarrassed by that. But actually quite a lot happened in this game. And Lucio scored a header to make it 1-1. Real Madrid's goalkeeper, Cesar, got injured. Then a very, very, very fresh-faced Ica Casillas had to come into the, into the fray. I think he was 19 at the time. And Real Madrid had to really, really hang on after that Zidane goal that was uh, just just before the second half. And Casillas made quite a few really quite good saves, a lot of them with his legs. And genuinely, the guy, he looked about six at this point. He looked like a a true boy among a sea sea of men. Um, It was really impressive to watch him scramble around in goal and secure that win. Real Madrid really had to work very, very hard for that win towards the end. Um, With a couple of of Leverkusen's players, Basturk in particular, Yildirai Basturk, taken a few shots from distance that really tested him so quite a lot happened uh, in this game that you don't really remember because of that one Zidane strike but this was this was a barrel of fun I mean I actually can't think about this game anymore since you know relearning about the whole Bayern Neverkusen thing and (laughs) them being them throwing away a treble in the space of a week Uh, and and now it kind of just makes me a bit sad yeah I think is the but I mean look that was a Dan goal was special and you know, Ika Casillas making his name on an international stage and really kind of announcing himself is is something that we can look back on so fondly now, given the career he has gone on to have. And, you know, my opinion, the greatest goalkeeper of all time, you know, making a, an appearance like that. It, it's just, you know, it does add a real pang of nostalgia to this one. Yeah. Any excuse for you to start talking about Casillas? Huh? I set that one up deliberately for you. I love him. <laughs> he's, such, such a, he's actually such a nice man. Yeah, he is. <laughs> like, so, it, you know, it's one of those. So, 
you know, the, just having him come onto the pitch, and I think would speak volumes to to a lot of the later things that happened, and a lot of the you know a lot of the careers that, that went on to have. You see the beginnings of these these careers in in many of these games. Obviously, you saw Zidane's kind of peak moment in many ways. Obviously, on a, on a club level, not on an international stage, but you know that that moment stands out. And you know, we we still talk about that goal, and we and and rightly so. It's an incredible strike. The one I had this lower. Than, than you did but I also did kind of forget that Casillas made his debut so I probably would actually push it up the list based purely on that mm, yes okay cool I like it right into number nine uh now this is another one of those games that's difficult to talk about without its its companion so to speak and I reckon some people will have this a bit higher and particularly higher than the other and I understand it but 2011 Barcelona 3 Man United 1 comes in at ninth which means it is Wow. It's, it's below it's below its 09 counterpart. And yeah, I think that might sound a bit strange to a point because this was a particularly godlike messy performance. It was a bit of a joke of a showing overall. Um the one-sidedness does play into it, I would say. And I would I, I would say the 09 version, which we'll come to a bit, was more of a shock to me in 2011. I just knew they were gonna batter them. And that's what I've countered against a few fixtures. And so to have Barcelona and United a bit higher like this may seem a bit odd. But I guess the difference is I adored watching that Barcelona side. And I never really wanted their performances to end. So that's why it gets a little bit of a leg up in the rankings. Because did I enjoy that final? Oh, hell yeah. Like, I would have liked for them to play another 90 minutes. That was so good. And obviously, as your famous quotes, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson saying it was the best team he'd ever faced after that game and things like that all very true it was it was a sensational performance and like I, I absolutely adored the final um i felt sorry for man united a little bit and even when Re- wayne rooney made the made the made the made the score 1-1 with a, a very nice strike it just didn't really feel like it was going to make a difference it felt like that manjukic goal in real madrid juventus just like that doesn't matter they're just going to score again it was that inevitability about them yeah i, I mean i had this at 2 <laughs> so i i remember being absolutely obsessed with this game i watched it time and time and i remember it was really early on in the days of being able to kind of record stuff and and play it back and i remember watching this over and over and over again because I was just like absolutely enthralled by by what just happened. I think it was, you know, one of those things that I was kind of starting to come into to, to age, I suppose, of, of really fully understanding the game. I was like, this is incredible. This is what I want football to look like. And given all that was kind of happening at the same time, I was sort of just absolutely and utterly obsessed with the way that the game was played, this one. And I I think all the reactions to it about Man United and all of those different things and then kind of all played into that as well i was just like wow this is this is special there's something here that's that i've not seen before it's you know managers like alex ferguson saying this is the best side i've ever faced you know players saying we couldn't get near them we we asked them to stop and i was like we're seeing something completely different to anything i've ever seen before and i think that's why it holds this kind of almost mythical status in my head. I can understand that. And I mean, this kind of breaks the ranking a little bit, but it's probably appropriate to talk about it. Barcelona 2, Man United 0 in 2009 is higher up in this ranking. So I'll tell you where it is. It's fourth. So we're skipping up a bit, but we'll go back down. And basically everything you just said about that, about the 2011 final is how I think about the 2009 final. And what that probably indicates is that I am, th- I'm what, I'm four years old, three years older than you? Yeah, a couple so of years older. Essentially, what happened was I had the same experience. And I was thinking about the game in the same way. 
but just at, at the, basically the same age. So it holds that it holds that significance in my mind because I thought like that for me that was the day like football basically changed for me in that day in 2009, and I was stunned by it as well. In 2011, I'd already seen 2009. I was like. Well, I know it's going to happen again, right? In 09, yeah. I genuinely, leading up to that game, this might have been just me being a little bit wet behind the ears with it or whatever. I thought Man United were going to win. I was like, there's no, having watched Barcelona play against Chelsea in the semi-finals, I was like, there's no way Barcelona win this game. And they absolutely tore them to pieces in a, in a display I'd never seen. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And that said, it holds that same feeling in my, in my mind as, as you've described with 2011. The first finals that I remember watching as the Champions League finals were 2004 and 2005. But I was literally a baby. And like the the finals that went on through there, I remember watching them and kind of being like, okay, cool. And I think it, you know, I remember watching 2009 and I remember being like, this lot are good. But I think it was only in 2011 that I was like, oh, I, I actually get it. I understand how good they are at yeah. this point. Whereas before that, I was a bit like, well, they're just good, but you know, they won, like you said, they won 2-0. You know, you'd seen, you know, you'd seen Porto win 3-0 four years beforehand you'd seen the miracle of Istanbul you've seen all of those things and I was like well they're a very good side but I don't think it was till 2011 that I fully understood how good that Barcelona side were and I think that's why it holds that that kind of moment for me yeah yeah okay well yeah we feel the same it's slightly different fixtures probably because of the age difference basically I think a lot of people will be like that we'll go back down the ranking against eighth uh, yeah. which is Juventus won Barca three in 2015 which I watched in a casino in Sweden uh, that's not why it's ranked so high. Well, that was quite fun. Um, this was an experience of watching the MSN trio more than anything. Um, it probably has that hallmark of Juve were probably never going to win this game. Obviously, Morata stole through and, and scored. And you're thinking, oh, OK, this could be on, but Barca, are, they're going to find their way through this, no problem. But it was the dynamic of this team that I loved. Um, I, I happened to hold a very special like love for that Juve side as well. So this was two teams that I just I just loved watching. And them coming together in a final was really special for me in particular. The Juve midfield yeah. was incredible. Vidal, Pogba, all those guys. I absolutely loved that side. And the Barca MSN trio of, of Messi, Suarez and Neymar was a truly special watch. And the way that they linked up, you know, with Messi on the right, switching passes over to Neymar on the left and isolating defenders one-on-one and the creating goals in these very mechanical ways, but carrying them off so beautifully, it just struck a chord with me. It, it did. And and I, I, I remember that final very clearly and I hold it in very high regard just because of the players that were there, just a personal liking for them. And, and the fact that Barca won using that trio made it even better, I think. I remember this final as Neymar's final. I think that... You know, there are moments in, in Neymar's Barcelona career, the remontada, you know, especially. But I remember this final as being Neymar's final. I don't know why. I, I'm not sure that, you know, looking back at it, he was actually much better than, than anyone else. But in my head, he was the key man at this point. And it's a weird thing to kind of think of now. It's because they they shifted the game, they shifted their plan around. Messi became slightly less important because they put him back on the right-hand side. And this was, you know, not long after he'd basically been playing a central or false nine role and they'd moved him over to the right and they just kept having him switch passes from right to left and just picking up Neymar on the flank. So like Messi became the provider and Neymar became the man they were aiming for. And then he would move into the box and create something. And he did he did take a more important role in this team than probably people remember or or people expected, given that Messi was present as well. Messi became the service man to Neymar in that in that respect with those switch balls from right to left. And I just remember that dynamic really clearly and thinking, what an amazing way of getting getting the best out of these two players. Like people think it's the easiest thing in the world to manage these kind of players, but 
It's probably not. And Luis Enrique did a fantastic job with them. Yeah, I think Luis Enrique's Barcelona side are probably not overlooked because I think obviously people talk about them quite regularly. But, you know, when when put in comparison to the Pep sides, uh, you know, then I don't think they're necessarily given the credit they, they always deserve because this side was, you know, uh, maybe a step on in terms of how difficult they were to play against and just how direct and, you know, forward thinking they were in, in so many ways. I remember when they signed Rakitic and I was like, what? Like, I just didn't get it because Rakitic is such a direct footballer. He's... um Give me the ball and I will move it forward. Give me the ball and I will move it forward. And he's he plays he played at the time he played riskier passes. Um, he played a more vertical style, a more direct style, and it wasn't very Barcelona. And I remember looking at it thinking, I don't know why they've done that. And of course, about a year later, I'm thinking, ah, oh, I get it. <laughs> Fair enough. But Barca was smart, or Luis Enrique was smart to to diversify the approach because you're right, you know, they're in the same century, more or less, as in the same window as those two pep sides in 09 and 11 and against you know standing them up against the others they don't compare quite because those two were just unbelievable but they were absolutely excellent in their own right and probably the third best Barcelona team that I've ever seen and not by they're not that far off to be honest with you and I think if Luis Enrique had tried to do the exact same thing as Pep it would have been a complete failure and he would always yeah. always have been compared and held up to him. But the fact that he did diversify that approach and Rakitic was crucial to that with that more direct nature, as you say, it made them thrilling once again to watch something slightly different, but still dominant. And that's that's a really impressive feat to, to manage at a top club where when you try to change something, it can go disastrously wrong given the, the expectations. Yeah. yeah, but also given the way that Barcelona expects to play. Mm. You know, we've all seen the documentaries. We've all watched these things about how if you don't play the Barcelona way, it's better to lose playing the Barcelona way than to win not playing it. And all of these kind of things that are built around the idea of of how important La Masia is to, to the club. And, to, you know, to change that is is a risky business. And, and he didn't, you know, completely and utterly go away from that i'm not suggesting that he he suddenly made barcelona into a long ball side who were whipping crosses in from fullbacks but you know he did stratify in many ways and that's something worth giving credit for when you look back at it now and you've seen how other managers have failed to do the same yeah i mean the ball was just traveling way further per pass wasn't it quite often it was just it was a it was a move away from tiki taka it didn't move away from possession he just switched it up and and, and encouraged more direct passages, longer passes, crosses and switch plays and all these things that we didn't really see. And the point about the Barca way, I feel, has really softened over the last five years. Basically anything post-Enrique, because Valverde in particular obviously took them away from that to a point. And there have been some rumblings about that. So for those newer watchers of the game, they probably don't really understand what that Barca way is. But at the time... In 2015, for Luis Enrique to take Barca away from what 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 Pep Guardiola had done so successfully, it was a risk, and it's probably hard to convey the significance of it right now because the idea of that has been so heavily softened by Valverde. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Barcelona go back to that in the, in the in the coming years yeah. and and seeing what happens when when what well, seems an inevitability that Xavi will take the club over at some point and and take on the manager's role. So we'll see what happens. But let's move on with the ranking, Sam. Oh. Uh, into number seven then, and this is Borussia yes. Dortmund one, Bayern Munich two in 2013. And the first thing I'd like to say about this final is um, it did really well, really, really well to present itself as an entertaining and enthralling game, given the nature of the semi-finals that had preceded it. Because the semi-finals, Bayern beat Barca 7-0 on aggregate and Dortmund squeezed past Real Madrid in, in a high-scoring affair. You naturally think after that's happened... 
that these two teams are just going to totally cage up, right? And particularly because they are domestic rivals, as the point we've been making, there are exceptions. And this, for me, is one of them. I really enjoyed this game. And again, it's a little bit of personal preference because I love that Dortmund side and I respected the hell out of that Bayern side because they were, I think, the second best team that we have seen created over the last decade or so. They were tactically almost perfect. The depth that they had was incredible. Uh, so finely tuned under Jupp Heynckes. And I was really pleased that they won the final despite my love for Dortmund because I think they deserved the treble. And there's the moment at the end, of course, which is Robin scoring in the 89th minute to win it, having missed the penalty in extra time the year before against Chelsea, his own redemption story. But both goalkeepers kept incredibly busy here. It's a 17 shots on target for a final. Is just, I mean, you don't really see that very often. And it was good to see these no. two just kind of pin their ears back and just go for each other. And it was one of those occasions where the familiarity of the two sides made the game explode rather than sort of draw within itself and become something way too cagey. It's similar to like the Barcelona-Juventus teams where that these two teams I was particularly fond of and the fact that they played out such a close, intense, but high-quality game in a final and it was decided late on as well. It just really, it kind of ticked all the boxes for me. And this this game was, this was the height of German football. 2013, these two were the two best sides in the world. Um, Dortmund had won the league a couple of years in a row under Jurgen Klopp. Bayern Munich were coming back at them and of course won the treble. This was German football's zenith, recent zenith. And they played out a, a fitting final. Yeah, absolutely. I don't actually have particularly much to add to that, apart from just, I remember being really excited watching that game. And I think it was because of the circumstance surrounding it and you know the year before I'd been watching the Chelsea Bayern game with some Chelsea friends and they were all really intensely like into it and I was a bit like oh just this isn't this is not that like fun because they're all getting like really upset and like angry and then just there was loads of shouting <laughs> and I remember watching the next the year after with the same group of people and being like this is really pleasant I can relax and kind of enjoy the game in many ways it was one of those things you'd be like wow it doesn't really matter what happens here you know again like you i like both of these sides it's cool that it's cool that Bayern are going for the treble it's cool that this is a cool Dortmund side under Klopp who have who have been really really exciting to watch and really really good and and it was able to just like, almost relax into it because no one i had no kind of there was no one around me on either either side massively and i think that for me helped to to stratify it. and i guess that that's you know circumstance is something that they dictates these things and it's a six uh this one will be a little bit high for some it will definitely be a little bit high for liverpool fans it's uh real madrid three liverpool one in 2018 i put this into the list i put it sixth i looked at it and thought that doesn't look right and then i tried to move it down and there was something tugging at me going no no sam you, you were really drawn to this one this is this is this is this is sticking to you why is this sticking to you and I think this was this directly coincides with my um, almost increased appreciation for moments and storylines that emanate from games as well as football. And this is basically the Bleach Report seeping into seeping into my into my psychosis because, as everybody knows, you know, uh, we, we we celebrate we celebrate moments, we celebrate history, we celebrate entertainment and players and things that happen, and we 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 personify them and we immortalize them. That's 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 what we do and. This one just this one just had those moments, didn't it? I mean, it was first of all, it was an extremely entertaining game. I mean, Real Madrid and Liverpool at this yeah. point were fragile, both fragile defensively and um, incredible from an attacking perspective. So you knew that you were going to get goals and 3-1, it didn't disappoint. Honestly, I expected six. 
but uh, I got four. It was fine. There's a couple of woodwork hits. There was the Salah Ramos story, which was it just rumbled on for a long time. Again, we immortalized that in the, in the Champions cartoon where we fused the two together. Ramos obviously. Uh, basically blitzing Salah's shoulder and taking him out of the game. So there was the emotion of that. There's obviously the Bale overhead kick, which is like potentially the best Champions League final goal ever scored. Zidane may have something to say about that, but it's 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 right up there. It's, it's why Zidane dropped Bale. <laughs> it's why Zidane dropped Bale indeed. Um, I mean, uh, just a sensational goal. And obviously the Loris Karius errors and the emotion surrounding that at the end and his tears and his apologies to the fans. Like, look, the the clear point here is that if I was remotely attached to either of these two sides, then I don't think I'd have this as high. But as a total neutral, what a what a final this was! Just with the the moments attached, the quality of the goals, the attacking play, the players, the players, the Salah Ramos moment. It just it kind of goes against my internal ethos of like football is football but I can't help but admire this one and everything that happened inside it it was absolutely chock-a-block full of drama and it was it's one of those weird games I know exactly when this game was because it was exactly the same day as the Fulham playoff final we came from Wembley and obviously in the highest spirits going and, and sort of watched the game on a screen in a pub but everyone was kind of like it doesn't really matter and I think that was the but then you know go back the next day and watch it again and again you'd be like there's so much to unpack in this game and I think that not watching it fully intensely live at the time because I was wrapped up in my own final drama you know was was actually quite nice on this occasion because it meant I could go back and be like I'm going to unpack this slowly I'm going to you know analyze it properly in retrospect and this it, it was one of those games where it felt like it could go either way and there was so much going on from a from a perspective of like you say you know woodwork hits it felt like there was there was no real defense and then all of the drama that then proceeded to unfold i have this six as well so um, i don't know what it is about this game that draws itself to a six spot but uh, for me, exactly the same. So. Oh, right. Okay. I thought you might. I thought maybe I'm maybe I'm off base. I just think, I just I felt like I probably had that higher than many. But uh, we'll see what people think. I don't know. But uh, it's time we kick off the top five. So I went back on Monday, as I said, and I, and I looked at a lot of games again in detail just to check and refresh. And this game just leapt out at me and just reminded me of how good it was and just it thrilled me all over again. And it's Barcelona two, Arsenal one in two thousand and six. Now. A lot to unpack here as well. Jens Lehmann, the red card, brings Arsenal down to 10 men quite early on in the first half. That should have absolutely ruined this game. But it's actually Arsenal that then go and take the lead. Was he Sol Campbell heads in from a free kick. And at half-time, 1-0 down against 10 men, Barcelona decide, right, we'll take Ed Milson off, our defensive-minded midfielder, and we'll bring Iniesta on. Uh, Iniesta with hair, actually. It was that long ago. And then in the 61st minute, because they still haven't scored, they take Van Bommel off, the other defensive midfielder, and they put Henrik Larsson on. So for half an hour of this second half, Barcelona have got Samueletto, Ronaldinho, Ludovic Juli, Deco, Larsson and Iniesta all on the same pitch, right? And it's just end to end. It's just a seesaw of carnage as Arsenal counter-attack through Thierry Henry and Lundberg and probably should score a couple more goals. But Valdez and the defenders do really well to basically catch him or stop him at the end. And Barcelona just throwing everything forward, everything forward, and then obviously leaving those huge gaps for Arsenal to counter-attack into. And yeah, a five-minute spill right at the end kind of just turned the game on its head. 1-1 and then 2-1. Aleti scores the, the the winning goal. Larson is actually the assister for the first one. Both, maybe the second yeah. one. Yeah, he's got oh, two. Both, Larson yeah. comes on and makes two assists. Belletti was a substitute as well. 
So a big win for Barcelona in terms of they bring the subs on that make the difference, although it could easily have gone the other way. It was like they're walking on ice, really, with all the counterattacks they were leaving for Thierry Henry and co. And I have to, it has to be said, like, full of respect for the guy, but I'm sure that Henry looks back at that game and thinks, I could and should have made the difference and won Arsenal that cup because he missed he missed a fair few. But this was... This was end-to-end in a way that you would probably expect an 11-a-side game to be, and definitely not a Champions League final to be. But this was yeah. just, this is so entertaining. The fact that Barca went for it and put six attackers on the pitch from the 60th minute and just just threw everything, everything they had at Arsenal. And eventually, they managed to get through. They did. Wow. What an experience to watch it. I've always referred to this final as the Henrik Larsson final. Um, of course Partly of course because I have, you know, almost in inane amounts of love for, for Henrik Larsson as, as the King of Kings, but more than, you know, anything else, he, he, it reminds me of how, how important he was. And I think that every couple of years we do something on, you know, about this. And I always talk about Henrik Larsson as the player's player. And there's, there's a selection of quotes from across the game. And there's about when he went into the Man United dressing room and was, you know, this figure kind of revered about when he went to Barcelona. And there's a line that says Ronaldinho's quote on it was, when when uh, Larson arrived, he told me I was his favourite player. But by the time he left, he was my idol. Uh, Henri's quote after this game he said, "People talk about Eto, they talk about Ronaldinho. I didn't see those guys tonight. The, the player I saw was Henrik Larson, and uh, it just—I think it was one of those moments where I always felt like he deserved a trophy like this, and this was the crowning moment for him. It, it was the kind of." You know, did his career played it out as a kind of not one club hero, but very much devoted to one club where he was maybe underappreciated by the rest of the world and then went to Barcelona, won the Champions League, went to Man United, was a massive, massive force for them in the late Sir Alex Ferguson era, and then like kind of quietly went off into the night. And this for me stands out as that moment was Larson's time and it felt like his time had come in in many ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not as I'm not as au fait with with Larson's career as you are. Obviously, the 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 sort of largely one club element to it is, of course, Celtic, um, and that's of course why he didn't get the respect he deserved, right? Because so many would be just too very willing to just write anything off that happens in Scotland as as just not that important, and the quality doesn't translate. And he's an important lesson as to why you need to take every case individually and quite seriously, because boy, did he transfer that form. And yeah, for Barca in that second half, he made the difference. Henri's quote on um, Eto's a bit harsh. Eto was good that game. And he, of course, scored, yeah, he was man he scored, of the match. And he scored the equalising goal. Uh, it was a really nice near post finish. Uh, so that was a bit weird. But generally speaking, fine, fair enough. Anyway, that, that game was, well, watching it back, I was just like, it just grabbed me all over again. And I just, of all of the rewatches that I uh, that I got on, on Monday, this was the one I enjoyed the most. On to number four. And we have already spoken about this because we wrapped it in. It's Barcelona 2, Man United 0 in 2009. So, yet yeah, that was the day that I realised that this that Barca were playing a completely different sport, which is why two years later when they did it again, it didn't have that shock factor. But I was genuinely floored by this performance. And I'll move on again because we've spoken about it into the top three. Uh, third is Real Madrid 4, Atletico 1 in 2014. This broke my heart a little bit because I, like many, many others and many neutrals, were supporting Atletico Madrid, the, the true underdog in this scenario. And, you know, it's that Ramos header in, in stoppage time and you it just takes out and just nullifies 93 heroic minutes of defending. It's such an absorbing game. I guess that Atletico's defensive shtick has kind of worn dry on some people, and I understand that, but... Back in 2014, it was quite an anomaly. It was quite fresh. It was quite novel. 
and everybody was behind it. They just absolutely loved watching Diego Godin head clearance after clearance after clearance out of the box. They loved seeing that tight-knit 4-4-2 drop in, stay narrow. And it was so different to what we'd seen from basically Europe's top clubs. Uh, and it was so heroic and so genuine and so blue-collar that you just couldn't help but get behind it. And you really wanted them to win that game, let's be honest. I mean, Real Madrid are the big bad wolf here. But then in the second half, you see that momentum and goals change games. And it's been a theme throughout Champions League finals. And this one is, is the shining is the shining example of that, I think. In that Ramos goal, that it was done. I mean, obviously, they had to go to extra time. But Atletico had nothing left in the tank. The, the knees sagged, the legs dropped. And the, 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 the extra time was something else completely. I mean, like I've never seen a team defend like that. I've also never seen a team collapse like that. You know, Real Madrid, three more goals in extra time, 4-1, an incredibly lopsided score, but such a tight and intense and absorbing contest throughout. And the game I remember for Angel Di Maria being an absolute wonder at central midfield, which is a long time ago. And he hasn't played there very much since, basically, because he moved to Man United shortly afterwards, uh, wasn't very good, uh, and then kind of lost his way a little bit, went to PSG and now plays as a kind of balancing winger. I mean, he's an exceptional player, but he probably hit his peak in this game as a central midfielder. Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's easy to get lost in the romance of this one, um, I think. And it's easy to forget how good this Real Madrid side were because, you know, at, at the time it was all about, and I, I completely agree with you, it was, it felt like you always want the, I mean, almost all the time in football, you want the underdog to win if you don't support one of the two teams, right? They're, it's a natural thing to do. And and so I think everyone was, you know, kind of rooting for Atleti in many ways. But you look at that Real Madrid side now and you think, yeah, what a side. And I think that it's important to, you know, to put that into perspective because they, they really were an absolute unit. And, you know, obviously this is the start of, of many things, but it's the start of four tro- trophies in five years for, for Madrid. And and yeah, this this team, this one's kind of written off as the, oh, what could have been for Atleti, when in fact it was, an, you know, an incredibly impressive Real Madrid performance in, in many different ways. Also, the only game of the 20 to go to extra time and not go to penalty. Ah. So it is, yeah. I typically, yeah, because typically in extra time, both teams are knackered, right? Like, excellent. Yeah. Like, it, it is, this rings true for the European Championships, for World Cups, probably for Copa Americas as well. If you get past ninety in a tournament format or at the end of a season like that, you're all just completely and utterly spent. And so you spend thirty minutes just kind of pretending to tackle each other, and then you just oh, just go to penalties. It's fine. But yeah, Real Madrid. This, this speaks to their their relentlessness and their drive and their determination as well because this was back in the time this is this was la decima right so it was indeed la decima so, so if any club is not going to just go oh right we got back to we got back to it let's 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 go for pens they were obsessed with this 10th champions league crown and they were not going to stop and that's probably why at 3-1 they were still hell for leather for that fourth goal and it it made the scoreline look a bit rough but what what a close and absorbing game this was it, i was so invested in it like invested in it in a game that I rarely am, you know, to, to a level that I rarely am. It was just incredible and a bit heartbreaking. But again, you just have to respect that Real Madrid side. This was the BBC combo, uh, Bale, Benzema and Cristiano at its peak. This was Di Maria, probably at his best ever level in central midfield. It was an incredible side, you're right. And I was probably a little bit remiss to just put it all on Atletico there. But it's what it's what it's what it's what the minds it's what you tend to do, isn't it? It's what it's, you can't help it. Yeah, 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 completely. I think that's how it's perceived. It is the the nearly game for Atleti, and even though the one two years later looks like it on paper is much closer, it goes to penalties. 
but it didn't feel like that. It felt like this was Atleti's moment if they were going to do it. And 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 when they didn't, you know, this the second time round, it was almost like, well, we're kind of doing that again, are we? Well, um, it goes and... back to it goes back to so it's the same example as Barcelona beating Man United in 09 and eleven. You, I like the first one more because it had that novelty factor to it. So for Barca, it was the best football I'd ever seen played. And in 2011, I just saw it again. In 2014, it was the best defensive, heroic, genuine blue-collar effort I've ever seen. And in 2016, it was the same again, but it's not quite as good, right? So the, the, it's fresher and it's newer and it's more exciting the first time you see it. So that's that's yeah. it's natural that you will latch onto that one and go, well, that was the better one because that I was more absorbed by it. I was more shocked by it. I was more taken by it. Yes, the other ones were good. Uh, they're just not quite as good. Okay, so let's move on to number two. Uh, number two. So got? I've only got two left. You obviously know what one of them is, but have you figured out through the list what this one was? This one could be. I mean, I've literally got them all written down, and I'm still struggling to find out what it is. So it's the 2008 Man United Chelsea game, one-one, and United oh, wow. win it on penalties. This was carnage, right? This was ridiculous. This is Ronaldo at the end of his 42-goal season. Uh, scores a header. Man United are totally dominant in this game. And then Lampard scores a goal that takes two deflections. And then it, things swivel. Drogba hits the post. Tevez misses a couple of sitters. Extra time comes along. Lampard hits the bar. Goal line clearance from John Terry's head, basically. Drogba gets sent off. <laughs> he slaps Vidic. And I noticed on the replay as I was watching all that back, Hargreaves was pushing the referee in the back at the same time. I was like, how has he not been sent off for that? That's insane. This really, really boiled over. This was this was uh, a game that seesawed in terms of momentum and just exploded. And that's that's the the extra element you can get from those all domestic ties. They really can just boil over and just go completely and utterly mad. And this is what this one did. And of course, you've got the iconic penalties as well after extra time. You know, Chelsea are in complete control of this. They're 4-3 up. Terry steps up. He can win it. He slips over in the Moscow rain. Hits the post, can't seal it. Momentum swings, Nanny, Anderson, gig score. And then Anelka misses after Kalu scores. And you've got those iconic shots, haven't you? You've got the camera zooms in on Edwin van der Sar having just saved Anelka's penalty. So it doesn't show the players running towards him. It just shows a close-up of van der Sar. And he's pushing his arms in the air. He's, he's, he's punching the air. He's shouting at his teammates. And the camera stays on van der Sar. And he just gets buried by a rush of red. And it's just yeah. such an iconic shot for me that, that has stayed with me more than, you know, the image of John Terry bawling his eyes out after basically slipping and and, and mess, messing up the chance to win the Champions League. I mean, he goes on to, well, he doesn't rectify it because he's banned for the 2012 final, but he at least he gets to lift the trophy again. But what an amazing game that is packed full of momentum shifts and drama throughout and red cards and fights and woodwork hits and all sorts. And then you get to a penalty shootout and it's a cracking penalty shootout as well with that iconic shot at the end. And Ronaldo misses as well after a stutter step penalty run. And it looks like that's going to be it for him. And you, and he's, he's all, he's all over the place as well. Like emotions all over the place for this game. It was incredible. There's a, there's a lot of quintessential stuff going on in this game. I've always thought, which is, which is quite nice. Like, you know, Lampard scoring a goal that takes two deflections, deflections, quintessential Lampard, <laughs> you know, it is there, but there's a lot the, the big saves from Edwin van der Sar, quintessential van der Sar. You know, I'm not even going to talk about Terry slip because I think the, the moment for me that always stands out about uh, from Ter John Terry in this final is that goal line clearance with his head. Yeah. You know, it feels very like that's what he was about. There was loads of stuff. Even Drogba boiling over is quite, you know, we see that in years and years and years that all go on together, right? It, it feels like 
loads of things that were like almost meant to happen happened in this game and for that it holds a quite a an iconic place in the pantheon i think yeah absolutely it was just yeah all of those the, lots of things that certain players are quite famous for ha- happened all in succession yeah. it was crazy yeah. and i mean remember getting back getting watching it back through and watching to, getting to the penalty shootout and obviously i know united have won because it happened literally 12 years ago but um watching those tevez misses two very close range ones one was a great save uh, from Petacek, to be fair. But watching those misses, there was one counter-attack in particular where Rooney chases chases back into his own corner flag, dispossesses Ricardo Carvalho, who was actually trying to do step-overs for some reason. And he surges clear of Carvalho, manages to ride a blatant yellow tackle foul as Carvalho just tries to haul him down and stop the counter, and then produces an incredible like 60-yard switch pass over to Ronaldo, stealing down the left. It hits him perfectly in stride. It's the kind of pass that if De Bruyne did right now, we would all fall over ourselves with. Ronaldo beats his man around the edge, crosses it across the box, and Tevez is sliding in, beats his man, and there's a really good save. It's five seconds of just, again, those quintessential moments. And Rooney in particular, working back to his corner flag, producing a run, this pass is incredible. Ronaldo steams down the outside. It was such a beautiful move. It didn't get rewarded in the goal. But this game is so iconic for all the re- all of the actual, you know, these moments, these red cards, these these goal line clearances, that something as great as that just gets totally forgotten when you when you look back on it. And you look back and you think almost every minute of this game, something crazy happened. I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely, chaos, which means that, you know, the the truest of all chaos games is in at number one, Sam. We will dial back to 2005 are we shocked no we're not shocked no. i mean like, there was an opportunity to galaxy brain this one and, and and drop milan three liverpool three from 2005 into second or third and try and be a bit extra but i don't think i can really i don't think i can do that um yeah milan take the lead in this game in the first minute and by half time it is three nil every single rule in football written and unwritten says that this game is over it's over right i went to bed <laughs> <laughs> obviously i was like a child and my parents my, i remember my dad being like go to bed game's over and i was like okay and like 15 minutes later he came back in and was like i don't think it's over come back down <laughs> and i was like okay oh that's so, at least you didn't miss too much that's good that's good yeah, uh, yeah. but half time half time liverpool are three nil down they make a make a half time substitution they change their formation and then three second half goals a real blitz an onslaught it gives us extra time and that this is an extra time period where everybody's just a bit cagey because Liverpool are like we've done really well to get back to 3-3 here like let's not blow this and Milan are like wow we've really made we've really let this slip we should at least at least get to penalties um and this is the shootout that I took a real shine to Jersey Dudek and um I looked up his technique that he used his distraction technique and apparently its name is spaghetti legs which um i've not actually heard before yes, but it it's does patented by bruce gob grobelar who was another liverpool keeper from the mid 90s yes i remember grobelar i just didn't know that he was uh he was famous for it but dudek obviously scrolling through the history books to take inspiration there and just like his antics on the line really drew me to him and i actually i'd had, I'd had an enhanced appreciation for him as just a player just after his 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 brilliance in that shootout but Liverpool go on and win the shootout. Like everybody knows the story. We don't need to spend ages talking about it, but it's the miracle of Istanbul. 3-0 down, 3-3, win on penalties. Incredible stuff. Probably only right that Milan get revenge two years later in 2007 and, and, and beat them and lift the trophy for themselves. Um, but what a set of circumstances to come back from. And, you know, the sort of rules that we've almost set out throughout this process where we've gone through the games, you know, we're looking to reward or we, we appreciate the drama, um, the comebacks, 
the intercontinental feel to it, the unexpected. It has all of that. And you can't get away from it. This is this is the best Champions League final of the last 20 years. And I haven't seen them all, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that this is the best Champions League final ever. Yeah, I mean, it's close. Maybe the square post final in Bern. Um, but it was it's one of those ones where, you know, if you have miracle in your name for, for an event, if you, if you become known as the miracle of anything, then the chances are you're pretty high up the pantheon of things. <laughs> yes. Like the miracle of Medina is the greatest Ryder Cup you know, of all time because it was ludicrous what happened. And, you know, you only get miracle in the name when something ludicrous happens. Like when something that's completely and utterly against everything you come to believe in can occur. And that in itself speaks volumes about what kind of a game this was. And, you know, you look back at it now, even from a kind of more analytical perspective, you look at that Milan side and you're like, this scene were absolutely outrageous. And it's kind of similar in, in, in my head to the Chelsea Bayern one, where you look at the Bayern team and you're like, unbelievable and then you look at the Chelsea team and you're like well that is literally a scramble of footballers who are like basically available <laughs> um, given the amount of injuries and and all the things that were going on and you look at this Liverpool side and you're like yeah good side good side but I mean should not be standing up to that Milan side and, and winning especially from 3-0 down and with all of that then put into into context you're like yeah okay fair enough that's that's something that's special and we'll probably never see again in this kind of final just can't believe that a back line of Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Nesta, Yapstam and Cafu collapsed to three. Like, yeah. They were three up and they collapsed. Like this is, as I said, this is against the, the, the written and unwritten rules of football. This is, this is supposed to be impossible. That is, it breaks physics. It's the most ludicrous back line. One of the, one of the best back lines in history of the game. And in the space of 45 minutes, they crumbled. And not only that, you've got Kaka, Sadov, Gattuso and Pirlo ahead of you to try and help you out. What's going, how was, how did this happen? And, I guess we're still trying to answer that question today, and that's why it's so special, and that's why it's number one, undoubtedly. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, a lovely list, Sam, and we've we've gone through a lot of games there. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Have indeed, yeah. I mean, there were a couple that you pointed out throughout that you had either much higher or much lower. What were the uh, what what was your what was your top five? Read out read out your top five. I had Milan three, Liverpool three as as one. I had Barcelona three, Manchester United one from twenty eleven as two. I had Juventus 1, Real Madrid 4 as 3. I had... Where's my 4? Oh, Real Madrid Atleti, the 4-1 as 4. And my number 5 was uh, the Barcelona 2, Arsenal 1. Okay, so we've got... We've the Henrik Larsson final. Yeah, we've got three We've got three in common in our top 5. And, and, and the two that you've got that I don't are actually quite different. So again, it's just as we as we spoke about throughout, it's like it's about what grabs you personally. It's about which teams you, you sort of took a shine to. The, the Barca-Juve final in particular, I just loved all the players on both of those teams and was just so happy they got to play out a final and that it was good. I'll have it higher than some because some people will say, well, it was you know, Neymar and Messi just kind of ruined them. But uh, it was it, it's each to their own to an extent in terms of what you enjoy. I think most people will agree that the lower quality ones and the ones that were put out of reach quite early will end up towards the bottom of the list. But your individual ranking of the top of the, of the 20 Champions League finals will tell you a lot about what you value in terms of a football game and how it goes and will tell you, will, will make you realise which teams you really took to over the years. It's quite an interesting experiment. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, one, and one you can definitely do at home. So if you, if you fancy writing them all out and ranking them, we'd, we'd love to hear what you, what you have to say and what you get to. Obviously, hashtag BRFootballRanks on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find Sam or I. Make sure you tag us and we'll have a look and see and see what we think. Um, but Sam, that's pretty much it from us. Uh, just one more call that we'll be commentating on Paderborn versus Dortmund this weekend, Sunday, 5pm UK, midday Eastern 
9 a.m. Western, 6 p.m. German, <laughs> uh, if you're uh, if you're in local time. Um, so yeah, apart from that, Sam, that's all left me to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thanks, mate. And a pleasure as always. My name's Jack Collins. Thank you for listening to Beat Our Football Ranks. As ever, make sure that if you've enjoyed this episode and you think your friends would, that you're sending it on, that you're helping spread the Rank Squad gospel. We'll see you next week, gang. Take care. Peace.